We are reading this morning from the Phillips translation, John chapter 15, verses 4 to 8. And I'm praying that these words of Jesus will bless each person gathered here today. Jesus said, I am the vine itself. You are the branches. It is the man who shares my life and whose life I share who proves fruitful. For the plain fact is that apart from From me, you can do nothing at all. The man who does not share my life is like a branch that is broken off and withers away. He becomes just like the dry sticks that men pick up and use for firewood But if you live your life in me, and my words live in your hearts, you can ask for whatever you like, and it will come true for you. This is how my Father will be glorified in your becoming fruitful and being my disciples. Thank you, Daryl, for the music. Just really going to fit what I'm going to say, so it's another God thing. I was in Home Depot about a month ago and was just a little put out that there were already Christmas trees up before we'd even picked the apples. So I want to start with a question this morning. It's not the beginning of a really bad joke, but what's the difference between a Christmas tree and an apple tree? An An apple tree produces fruit by itself, but a Christmas tree has to have the decorations tied on it. And there's a world of difference between a tree that you have to decorate, and I do this, and it takes me forever, a whole week, to get all those lights and decorations on the tree. And then about three weeks later, I have to take them all off, and I don't even get to eat anything. There's a world of difference between a Christian who bears fruit naturally and a Christian who has to tie the good works on to try to impress other people. We are continuing our discussion of John 15. It's been about five weeks since we started talking about John 15, and now we're coming back to the question, what does it take to bear much fruit. 
Please remember with me the context. It is Thursday evening, and the disciples have just shared the Passover meal. Now they are headed through a vineyard on their way to Gethsemane. Jesus stops and takes the grapevine and uses it as an object lesson. In just a few hours, he will be arrested and on his way to the cross. And he uses that vine to prepare his disciples for what will be coming next. For life without him physically beside them. In this extended metaphor, Jesus is trying to teach them what it means to be in relationship with him when he is not physically present, what it means to have his life within them. These are the final teachings of Jesus, and the disciples are bewildered. They cannot comprehend God's plan. The way that these men... Jesus' very closest friends, would relate to him would be soon radically and unalterably changed. No longer would it be face-to-face conversation as they hung out together all day, every day. But it would now be a spiritual relationship where he would come into their hearts through his spirit and through his word. His wisdom his strength and his power would be just as available after the cross as it was before. In fact, he says even more available after Pentecost than it had been before. He would be intimately available to them 24-7 and to each of us who call upon his name. Always, always, always right there. But he still needs to teach his disciples how to do this. He needs to convince them that they have a part to play, that they need to stay connected, obedient, and submitted to his will and to his word. And so he holds that grapevine in his hand, and he points to the tender green shoots And he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. We have a small orchard in Maine, and Mark thought it would be wonderful to plant trees. But we didn't take very good care of our trees, and we didn't ever get much of a crop. The one pear tree that bore one pear, the deer ate. But one of the things I loved to do was go out in, it was still winter in March in Maine, but I would prune the branches and then bring them in Home Depot buckets into our warm house, and you can force them to flower while there's still snow everywhere out around. Within a few hours, they would blossom and they would smell beautifully. And I would try to to time the pruning of our trees 
so that, that those wonderful flowering prunings could be used to decorate our church for Easter. So I would count back on the calendar. I'd try to figure out how long it would take. And sometimes it would work perfectly. And there would be these beautiful pink and white blossoms that we could just put everywhere all over the church. But other times they would come either too soon or too late. And then after Easter, we had these branches that were flowering. But the buds would fall off. They would drop their blossoms. And then those branches were thoroughly and completely dead. Despite the fact that they'd had their moment of glory in our warm house, despite the fact that they'd had even a greater moment of glory decorating our church, they were dead branches. Not a one of them ever became an apple tree, and not a one of them ever bore pears. They were dead. And they found their way to the gully behind our house where all of the yard waste that we produced met its final demise. We figured that all the stuff we dumped over into that gully that we increased our property by about half an acre, <laughs> what was dumped in. Only the branches that were left on the tree ever bore fruit. It seems so self-explanatory. You have to be connected before you can bear fruit. Disconnected branches die. They might look okay for a day or two or maybe even stay green and blossom for a week or two. But eventually, without that life that comes through the tree and into the branches, they will shrivel up, dry out, and be cast into the gully. So let's take a closer work, look at the word abide, which we find repeatedly in this passage in John 15. The Greek word in John 15 is meno, and there are five different words in the original Greek and Hebrew for that one word abide that we have in our language. Uh, and there's a bunch of compound words that are used with meno as their root. So meno means to abide, remain, live, and continue. It, and then there's epimeno, which means perseverance to continue in doing something. Or katameno, which means constant residence or frequent resort. Or parameno, which means to continue, and is sometimes used to express confidence of staying with a person. And then there's a really neat word, which is hupomeno, which means to find a place and stay there instead of ever leaving it. It's to stay behind or persevere. And finally, there's the word prosmeno, which means persistent loyalty or continuance faithfulness in never giving up. So, for example, in John chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, when the disciples first find Jesus and encounter him, they ask him, where are you staying? 
That word staying is meno. Where do you live, Jesus? It means the same as abide. To abide is to reside. To abide is to continue to stay and live there. The key meaning in each of those Greek words is constancy. Not on again, off again. When we abide in Christ, we move in with him. And he moves in with us. And he's with us all day, every day, 24-7. Not like we are couch surfers spending a week at a time at different friends' houses, off to a new place next week. Menno describes a consistent, unwavering, intimate connection with Jesus. John 15, verse 7, gives us a specific practical way to strengthen that connection, where he says, if you remain in me and what? My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. God's word is the way that he comes and lives in us. God's word becomes the place where Jesus' truth and love and power can get inside of our minds and then begin to trickle all the way down into our hearts. For his words to remain in us, it takes a little effort on our part. You have to stock your pantry before you can make a meal. You have to have his word by having read it and memorized it and studied it and thought about it. And then you have to continually put your mind back into his word for it to do any good for you. And so when he says, I want to abide in you, he says, I'm going to do this through my word. I'm going to be there reminding you of what my word has said. I will live in your heart with my words. The word in Hebrew that means meditate means literally chew the cud. So how many of you chew the cud? Well, maybe Wrigley's would like it if we would chew the cud more. But you know what a, a cow does is it eats the grass, and then as it's out somewhere else, it brings some of it back up and chews a little more because just the one eating is not enough. So what we do when we meditate is we take what we've already read and we just take it with us and think about it all day long. And I find that in my reading, you know, I try to read my four chapters every day. I'm not finished until I find one place there, one idea, one promise, one truth that's going to be my truth for that day. And then all day long, I try to turn it over again, like a stone in my pocket, or like the cow chewing its cud, remembering, remembering, thinking, thinking, letting it sink in until it becomes part of me. That's how the word can work in our lives. Well, we've been doing this scripture memory challenge. And how many of you have been rewarded for having memorized a verse at this point? Look at that. That's amazing. 
And I hope you're not all done because the, the challenge is still offered. Memorize a chapter. Needs to be at least, what, 24 verses. There's a list of chapters that we would like you to, to pick from, and then you get your reward. Well, I think about it, some of you who are older than I am and would have this excuse to have a bad memory, you've been able to do it. And then we had Nathan, who was very young, who also was able to do it. Learn the word, because that's how he abides in our hearts. You know, having God's word in our heart changes the way we think and act. God told Joshua not to let the word of the book of the law depart from your mouth. And then he says, meditate on it. How often? Day and night. Like you never stop thinking about the Bible. So this is the promise that comes from having the word within us, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. When you think about it, then it's more a better chance you'll actually do it. And then it says, then you will be prosperous and successful. Well, who doesn't want that promise? But that definitely is a conditional promise. This is there's something we need to do to let God come and live in our hearts. The best way to allow Jesus to abide in you is by taking his word to fill our minds, heart, soul, and emotion, and letting us see life through his eyes and his perspective. And often this means being creative. So Paul wrote to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and then he says, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. So I have a secret. Little Nathan, when he was able to recite Psalm 139, he sang it to me. And it was just delightful to hear him sing the word and know that the, the music had helped fix those words in his mind. And I really love music that is based in the written word of the scripture. And if you need a little help, you have a little bit of a poor memory, find Bible-based music, and it will certainly help that word to get written there solidly. To let Jesus abide in us means that we allow him to speak to us, that we're listening and actually expecting an answer. You know, I do. I ask God all kinds of questions, and I assume that he's going to answer me, and I listen for that answer. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus can convict us, redirect us, and remind us. In fact, one of the most important tasks of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of what we already know at just the moment when we need it most. It is not enough to merely think about his word. We need to let that word come in and permeate the way we think and transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So that's what it means to have the words of Jesus abide in us. It's to move over our own thoughts and make room for his thoughts. 
to make room for him to live in our hearts, not as a silent guest who's only consigned to stay in the bedroom and never have an opinion or a command, but to say, no, I want you here wherever I am as an authoritative guest whose opinions matter more to me than my own and my own thoughts. I want you in my heart and in my life telling me what to do. Now, do you all agree with that? Do you want him telling you how to live your life? Absolutely. And when you say, into my heart, we all sang that song. That's what we're asking. Not into my heart to be in a cage, but into my heart to live on the throne. To be the one in charge of everything I think and everything I do and everything I say. How I spend my money, how I spend my time. And when you say, abide with me, Jesus, you're saying, I'm going to invite you into my heart, and then I'm going to say, on your terms, not on my own. On your terms, I want you to abide in me. The second half of John 15:7 contains an amazingly broad promise. He says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. But you have to read the front of that verse before you can get to the second half. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you wish. That would mean that Jesus wants us to pray using his word. He wants us to take his word as the framework of the prayers that we pray. And ask him to do what he's promised, for one thing. Or ask him to show us personally that he is everything that we find written in, the, in his book. Now, this may seem like a genie-in-a-bottle text. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. You know, I wish I was still size six. I wish I had a Maserati. I wish that my clay-filled hillside was suddenly rich, deep topsoil. Can I pray for those kind of things? Why? Because they're not aligned with God's will. But when I align with God's will and I use the word to do that, Anything, any idea or promise I find in his word comes with that promise that I can take it like a signed check to the bank and say, God, you said you were going to do this. I believe you will. We can claim every single Bible promise as his will and his own. And verse 8 gives us a clear picture of what we will be praying about. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So there's a couple prayers that I think God will always answer. Number one, help me glorify you. Help my life to show other people what you were like. Help me to glorify you. And help me to bear much fruit. Those are two things we can ask and know that if we stay connected to him, he will answer them. 
for certain. And, and that helps us to know what we should be praying about to begin with. Abiding is this constant two-way conversation. Not just me shooting my prayers to heaven, but me receiving God's ideas through his word. And through his word, we can have a talk where he speaks to me and I speak to him back and forth. Verse 9 tells us to abide in his love. As the Father has loved Jesus... Jesus now loves us. It's unconditional, unwavering, promise-keeping love. So, you wake up in the morning, and I have this really irritating little alarm that's in the kitchen, but I can hear it on my phone. And as it goes off, I want to start my day with this thought, Jesus loves me. Start by abiding in his love, living in his love from the very first moment. And then as I go out and I turn the alarm off and I go and I sit in my chair and look at the view and I begin to pray, you know what he wants me to remember? Jesus loves me. I can live this day in his love. And then as I go through my day, I have my breakfast, I have my nice long time in the Word, and I speak to Him. He wants me to live in His love. He wants me to remember that Jesus loves me. And as I go to work, and I make phone calls, and when disappointments come, and I have to cook dinner, and something doesn't turn out right, when our dog makes a little mess on the rug, which... She's doing almost every day now. He wants me to remember Jesus loves me. I live in his love. His love is the house I live in. It's the most important piece of every single day that I am loved. And so I can live loved. And guess what? If I live loved... I will live love. And then his love will not only be given to me, it can be given through me if I will abide in his love. It, this love will never fail. It will never fail me. It will never fail Mark. It will never fail our kids. It will never fail your grandkids. It just will not fail. Paul promises that, right? And Jesus is saying, connect up with me and remember this. You are loved. Remember it over and over, all day, every day. Never forgetting. Always remember. Carry it through every other task, every other conversation. Now, what would your life be like if you really lived like that? Do you think you might be a little happier? Do you think whoever lives with you might be a little happier? Do you think your coworkers might be a little happier? Do you think you might bear more fruit if you remembered first that you were loved? I think, I think it's kind of essential. Where have we missed this? Verse 10 gives even more specifics on what this love looks like in our lives. Where Jesus says, if you obey my commands... You will abide in my love. 
just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love. So his love is spelled out in black and white in the word, in him describing that, that there are some ways that we can love each other tangibly and other things we do that will hurt and will not be loving. And his commands keep us from doing destructive, hurtful, relationally damaging things. 1 John 5, 3 is a promise that I've loved for a long time. It says, this is love for God to obey his commands. And then the second half of that verse is so amazing. And his commands are not burdensome. It's not hard to be obedient when you know you're loved. It's not hard to be obedient when his love is already flowing to you and through you. Then the obedience just comes naturally. Abiding will open the way to enjoy Jesus more. If we really believe he's with us and that he loves us, we will be happier people. And so in verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. He wants us not only to have joy, he wants us to have his joy, full joy. The secret of full joy, of happiness, is to live connected up with Christ. So let's just imagine what this might look like. I think there's a lot of gratitude that comes from being connected. You will be just thanking him all day, every day, loving him, waiting on him, asking for him, having unhurried times of conversation. I have a favorite little book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He was a 15th century monk who washed pots and pans in a monastery. And what he described as his way of life, he says, before I start a task, I ask for God's help. When I'm halfway finished with a task, I thank him for giving me the strength to get so far and ask him for help to finish successfully. And when I finish a task, I thank him for the strength of helping me. Now, could we live life that way? Okay? I, you know, if it's something spiritual, I have to write a sermon. You would say, of course, you're going to pray before you write your sermon. You're going to pray as you're writing it. You're going to thank him when you're finished. But why can't we pray like that when we're washing the car or cleaning out the garage or cleaning the toilet or having a difficult conversation with someone. Could we ask for God's help before, during, and after every single thing we do in our lives? What do you think would happen if you did that? Do you think your life would be any better? So when he says, abide in me, is this idea that you don't have to be on your knees beside your bed to talk to him. He's saying, I'm going with you, and we're going in. And whatever it is you have to do today, I'm going to be right there to personally 
coach you and encourage you every single step of the way. I need that. And I'm thinking, if I really did that, I bet life would be a whole lot less frustrating. And I would do a whole lot less worrying. And I'd probably be able to tune in to the people that God brought to me, if I would just live that way. So I want to, con you to consider the implications of this command to abide with him that Jesus is giving us. Jesus said in John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you so that you, I can take you to be with me so that where I am you may be also. How many people would you like to live with forever? Do you have some people you wouldn't want to live with forever? You know, I find even when I have company, after about three hours, I'm an introvert and I need some alone time, right? Even Mark, I mean, I love hanging out with Mark, but after about three hours, I need some alone time. Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to my house as a permanent guest. I'm inviting you to live in my father's house, and I'm going to hang out with you, and I'm never going to get tired and tell you that I need some alone time. Jesus is saying, I love you so much that I want you with me 24-7 for eternity. And I'm saying, he knows me. He knows my stuff. And man, do I have a lot of it. And he has to live in this heart of mine that's full of so much anxiety and sometimes jealousy and some, some struggles. And yet he says, no, I want to live in your heart. And then I'm going to invite you to come live with me in my father's house. Abide means not on again, off again. Abide means constantly, forever. How can he love us that much? I just cannot figure that out. But he does. He promises that he does. So what would be the natural result of this tight, close relationship with this all-wise and loving, powerful God? Verse 5 tells us, If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying, if you just let me come along in you, into your day, you cannot help it. You will be fruitful for me if you let me go with you. I'm going to do the work. You just have to be the container where I am. Much fruit. How could we help but bear much fruit if Jesus was right there like that? But the verse continues in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, have you ever considered what an audacious statement this is? I'm, you know, if you were a humanist, you would say, yeah, right, Jesus. I just got up and I just made breakfast. I got a degree. I have a good job. I've drawn these plans. I've had my children. I've done all this stuff. I found a wife. I had a baby. Jesus, what did you have to do with all of that? And Jesus would say, everything. The fact that you're even breathing right now and your heart is beating 
is a gift from God. I am the one who gave life itself, Jesus said. And if you want to do anything that spiritually matters, if you want to do anything that's going to last for eternity, you have to be connected with me because it has to be me doing that work. This is not the language of an ordinary man. This is the language of Jesus Christ who knew he was God himself. He made this audacious claim. Without me, you can do nothing. Preposterous, but I believe it's true. So here's the question I often ask myself. What part of nothing do I not understand? Why do I keep trying to barrel through my days and get so much done instead of just taking that moment to ask him into it? ask for his help, thank him for his, his presence with me. Within the immediate context, this doing that we can do nothing is really about bearing fruit and glorifying God. We just need him desperately. I need you, oh, I need you. Isn't that what Daryl just sang? And how true that is. How foolish it is to try to advance the kingdom of God if we haven't abided with him first, if he isn't going actually in us in real time into whatever ministry we're trying to do. Without me, you can do nothing. But the converse of that is with him, we can do everything. Isn't that wonderful? I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. So I don't know what it is you have to do today or this week and how hard you feel it might be. But if you could do it abiding with his word in your heart, with his love in your heart, being the house that you live in, I bet you could do it. Listen, if you've ever seen any love in me, it's the love of Jesus. If you've ever seen any peace in me, it's the peace of Jesus. If you ever see any joy in me, it's the joy of Jesus. And if you've ever seen anything in me that makes you love God more, it's him. He's just using me, and that's perfectly okay with me. You know, the amazing part of the mystery of the life of Christ is that he's self-limited he actually, as he took on human flesh, said, I'm not going to do anything that they couldn't do connected to me. I'm going to connect myself up with the Father, and I'm going to be kind of their exhibit A of what abiding looks like and, and what abiding feels like. There is so much that Jesus could have done in his own strength. There was nothing he couldn't do. And yet he said, I'm going to limit myself and depend on my Father completely. So I just wanted to show you a few verses that kind of illustrate this. John 5:19. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Well, that's what he said. Without me, you can do nothing. He's showing us what that is. But what he sees his Father do... For whatever he does, 
the son also does in like manner. Or in John 5.30, he says, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, that I do, here it is again, nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. John 12, 49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I sh of what I should say and what I should speak. Do you think he could do that for me? That he can tell me what I should say and what I should speak? Not just when I'm preaching a sermon, but when I'm having a hard conversation, when I'm visiting someone, when I'm doing life, when I pick up my telephone, can he tell me what I should say and what I should speak? If I would depend on him the way Jesus depended on his father, and then in John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. And it's like the Jesus who dwells in me can live my life, can show me what life is all about. Christ says, let me be the example in the way that I've abided in the Father and then you can abide in me that same way. Well, here in Squim, we want to be fruitful for Christ. We want to live for him and make a difference. We want to reach into our neighborhoods. We want to help people know and experience the love of God. And that's all excellent. But you know what? If we have not first abided and had his love fill us, we're just walking around, spinning our wheels and wasting our time. Unless he is in us and actually doing the work through us, we can do all kinds of things, and it will just make us tired, and it won't bear fruit. So if we get so wrapped up in our work for Jesus that we don't take our time to be with Jesus, the devil's just taking us on a rabbit trail. So covenant with me, my dear friends, not to let anything get in the way of you first abiding with him. And then to remind yourself throughout your day that he's available, that he's with you, and that he can give you whatever you need to live for him and bear fruit. So... Back to this question, what does it take to bear much fruit? Get connected. And then, this is the harder part, stay connected. Really believe that he can be with you all day, every day, while we walk this earth, and then finally when we get to heaven, again, abide with him. He says, I want you to be where I am. I am where you are. We're tight, we're close, we're firm, and it's never going to be broken. That's what he promises. Father, this is our prayer. 
We want Jesus to live in our hearts. And we want the life that we live to be his life in us. You know where we struggle. You know where we fall. Just keep showing up for us. All day, every day, remind us that you indeed are right there and that you indeed love us, that your love is our home where we can live. Thank you, Lord. Go with us now and may we take you with us wherever we go.